Well, good morning. Would you guys thank our band and our vocalists for doing what they do all the time so well? Uh, they have an incredible, incredible ministry, Justin and all those that spend time up here on the stage, and um, we're appreciative for it, so um, thank you. Um, so happy summer to you guys. Uh, it's good to see you. This is our second week of us doing our 1030 combined service. Obviously, you know this, you're here, um, but uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking last week, I noticed some people were sitting in a different place than I normally see them in their other service, and I thought, that's really cool because that means probably someone was, you know, because we're creatures of habit, right? So someone was probably sitting where they normally sit. And I just would like to say thank you for not being jerks for Jesus. And you know what I'm about to say, right? And saying to someone, you're in my seat. Thank you for not doing that. Very much appreciate it. Um, so we're in week two of this series um, called The Parables of Jesus. And so we're just looking at these stories that Jesus told. Now, last week I gave a, a mini definition, a very simple definition. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. Luke 15. Um, so what's a parable? If, if we're talking about the parables of Jesus, then what is a parable? And a parable, very simply, this is a very simple definition. It's just a story used to make a point. That, that's all it is. It's a, a story used to make a significant point. And as I mentioned last week is that often Jesus talked about some really big, um, heavy, difficult things to understand, and so he would offer these parables to just give multiple insights into one central theme or idea. And so um, this is what we're going to look at today. And think about it like in regard to things being hard to understand, we look in Scripture and we see how it was difficult for first century people to understand some of the things Jesus was teaching. And here's the deal, though. We're 21st century people, and we still have a hard time understanding and living into and living out of the things that Jesus taught. So the parables that he spoke in the first century are just as important in the 21st. Because we have a hard time some, some really understanding this and putting it into practice. So um, here's the deal, you know, with, with a lot of this is that these abstract ideas that Jesus would teach, they were, the reason I say abstract or difficult to understand is that they often were so counter-cultural, counter-intuitive, um, they just didn't quite make sense into what we knew or what they knew to be normal. It was, it was so it was kind of upside down or, or topsy-turvy or inside out to how people, when Jesus talked about how to treat others, that's not how they were treating each other. That's not how they were loving each other. That's not how they were considering each other. That's not how they considered people who were different than them. They didn't look at them in a way that, that God does. So when Jesus imparted these ideas, it was difficult to understand. And so he would use these parables to kind of slip in a, a, a God-sized nugget of truth into something so people would go, oh, okay. So today, as we are looking at a parable that we find in Luke chapter 15, we're going to talk about something that comes up all the time in churchy circles, and that is the love of God. And we might think we have a handle on this, okay? The love of God. We might go, oh, I got this one. 
This one's an easy peasy. This is level one. I'm good. But Jesus himself had to use parables to impart to the first century people about God's love. So there's a chance that 20-something centuries later, we might struggle with this still as well. So, God's love. When you think about the people that were in the listening audience, um, they might not have had a good handle on God's love. If they believed in the one true God, so that's the first step, all right? If they believed in the one true God, he was often portrayed to, to people, everyday people, as by the religious leaders, he was often shown to them as only a lawmaker, right? He gave Moses the law. Like, so here's, here's, the, here's the law. He's only a lawmaker. He was a punisher of lawbreakers. This is, this is the portrayal of God that people had, that he was one to be totally and completely feared and that he was disconnected from the people. Now, technically, none of those are wrong. God is a lawmaker. We do know that there's punishment for law-breaking. We know that we should have a fear of the Lord, and there was a disconnect from the people because the people weren't holy, and God is. So it wasn't wrong. But what Jesus came to do, and we find this in Luke 15. We're going to look in a minute, okay? But he came to enlarge the view that people had of God. It, better, better put is he, he came to fill in the gaps of those four truths, right? Lawmaker, punisher of lawbreakers, um, be feared. Uh, you have a fear of the Lord, uh, disconnected from the people. All those were true, but Jesus came to fill in all of those gaps with the love of God, because suddenly those four truths now go, oh, but they're wrapped with love. There's love in all of those missing pieces. God has a love for me with his law. God has a love for me that there is punishment for breaking law. He shows love to me. God, uh, that he loves me so much that he protects me from his, his very person. Um, I mean, all of these things, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to enlarge this. So, in Luke 15, there's actually three parables that are, that are put together here in Luke 15. We're just going to look at one today. But there's three parables back to back to back. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and you could say, there's a couple different names for the third one that most of us know as the prodigal son. But it could be the lost son, or uh, it could be the two brothers. I mean, it's given a couple of names. But they're all about something that was lost and then was found. Okay, that, that's the, in the story of each of them. Now, so in Luke 15, these three parables, this is what Jesus wants to, uh, the listeners to understand. He wants the listeners to understand God's great love. Now, I have no idea if this is going to be as impactful to you as it was to me earlier in the week. Have you ever considered that Jesus... In his omniscience, right? Because he was fully God. So he had omniscience. He, he knew all things. That's what omniscience means. That Jesus, in his omniscience, he knew that when he spoke those words in that moment that we have recorded in Luke 15, 
He knew full well that his words would be remembered by a disciple. And that those words would be written down onto a scroll, a parchment of something. Think about this. Jesus knew as he spoke these words that a disciple would hear it and he would record those words, that those words would then be preserved. Those, words would th- th- those preserved words would then be copied by hand. They would be sent around to other churches to be shared. They would end up being translated into different languages. Jesus knew all of this as those words, as he formed those syllables and spoke them out. Jesus knew that his words would be read again and again and again. He knew that scribes would mass produce, and I mass produce these words because that was mass production then. is a whole bunch of people with pens. <laughs> he knew when he spoke those words that his church would collect his words and the words of others, and they would put those words together into what you and I know as Bible. He knew that a printing press would come along as he spoke these words. He knew that eventually millions and millions of copies of his words would be accessible to billions and billions of people throughout all time. Jesus knew this as he spoke it. And are you, I'm not done. Are you ready? As Jesus spoke those words, he knew that you, yes, you, He knew that you would hear his word. He knew it. He knew as he spoke those words for the very first time in that setting that his words would make their way from his mouth all the way to your ears. To your heart, to your mind, to your soul. He knew. The Son of God knew that his spoken word, spoken word, would be heard by you. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1 kind of verse 1 and 2 kind of set up this parable that Jesus knew you would hear. It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain. Some translations say murmur. (laughs) You know, you do the murmur thing, yeah. They said that complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. 
You share a meal with somebody, that's like, that's like an intimate occasion to sit with someone at a table and share a meal with them. So the fact that he would share this meal was just ridiculous to the religious leaders. And so when you think about it, Jesus was often seen, we know this, we've read these accounts, he was often seen in, in the company of, of sinners as, as they were labeled. Sinners were around him. To the consternation of, of the elite, they, and they would have, because they would have nothing to do with those people. I don't know if it was so much that I can't believe Jesus is doing that, but it's, well, I've never done that. We've decided we're not going to do that. We've decided that the law says this, and so we're not, and, and they would distance themselves. The very things, those truths that were kind of true, but Jesus came to fill in the gaps. He was filling in the gaps as he, had, he sat at a table with sinners. And so in his response, and this is one of the things I've noticed about Jesus, and you read in the, in the Gospels, all the accounts, is that Jesus was a sinner magnet. Now, I want to say that Jesus was a sin magnet, but that's really not true. He was a sinner magnet. He, people who needed a Savior, who needed sin forgiven, were attracted to Jesus. We don't read, and there's nowhere in scriptures that we read how the people who had sin in their life, who, didn't, who, who needed uh, hope, who needed, who wanted faith, we don't ever read about how they were flocking to the religious leaders. We don't ever read about how they were flocking to, to the places where, where, where the people who followed the rules to the nth degree and, and distanced themselves from the people. We don't ever read that. We read that they, they ran to Jesus. Now, and so here's verse 3. So we know that the, the religious leaders have a problem with Jesus being around sinners because they're attracted to him. They're like, he's got something. He's talking about something. He actually wants to be with us. He's, he's saying things. He's, he's talking about a kingdom. He's talking about uh, new life. I want to know more. And they're being attracted to him. And so verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. So we know that the, the religious leaders are complaining, and the response to their complaints is Jesus is going to tell them a story. So it's now story time with Jesus for the Pharisees. Verse 4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Now, I know a lot of you have read this story before. You've heard messages on it, messages better than the one I'm, I've I've put together for you. What we probably miss, and I will throw a we in here because I, I know I missed it for, for quite a while. What we probably miss just in this opening statement that Jesus makes in his story is the fact that this is scandalous and offensive to his audience and his audience being the religious leaders. It was absolutely like insulting for what he said, just that first sentence, and here's why. The statement asks the Pharisees to put themselves into the role of or the understanding of what would a shepherd do. Well, Pharisees don't do what shepherds do. Because Pharisees are here and shepherds are way down here. Pharisees are up here and they're clean and they're, and they're good and they're respected and, and people revere them and shepherds are way down here and they're not that clean 
I mean, they, they work. I mean, they make society happen. <laughs> but they're not respected. And so the opening statement, we, don't, we lose this in our context, right, of our lives. We lose this. The fact that Jesus is like, hey, put yourself in a shepherd's shoes, sandals, whatever they are. Put yourself in those, and let's consider this story together. Already, he is, Jesus is pushing up against what they think to know is this is the way, this is the way of God. He's already pushing up against it. Um, so um, we've got this, you know, indirect, but I would say pretty powerful uh, what attack, if you will, on, on the attitudes of the Pharisees. Um, verse 4. So, I mean, say it again. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, there's so much behind this that, that we don't understand as far as shepherding goes and, and the fact that, uh, you know, one shepherd is, is most likely not leading 100 sheep, that he's probably got a couple of, you know, assistant shepherds or assistant to the, assist, assistant to the shepherd is what might have be some Dwight Schrute turning around doing the shepherding. Um, but so there's, there's so much behind that that we don't really know. So we could go, well, sh- of course, or no, that's stupid, but hang with me on this. To illustrate the hypocrisy and the inconsistency of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders, what Jesus is doing is he's challenging them to consider the fact that they wouldn't do anything differently, that they would do the same thing, because they understood the value of the sheep. They understood, they knew the context of If there was a shepherd overseeing a hundred sheep, most likely it was a couple of flocks put together and the shepherd had just been hired to kind of watch them during the day. And they belonged to a couple of different owners. And they would understand the context that if that shepherd didn't bring all 100 back, that he was going out of his pocket, going to have to find a way to pay for the one that was missing. I mean, there was so much behind there, but they knew it. And so he's, 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 pressure, he's putting on them this, you, uh, you've got to understand, you, there's a hypocrisy and an inconsistency to you because you know that you would do the same. You would not want to have to pay the fee or to, to, to have the, the shame of being, I mean, how good is your shepherd business going to be if you go out in the morning with 100 and you come back with 99, okay? So they understood this, and he knew that they knew they would do the same thing. Any one of them with a hundred sheep, but one getting lost, would leave the 99, most likely with assistant shepherds, and would go after the one. And when they did that, verse 5, this is Jesus telling the story, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders, right? I don't have to pay the fee, I'm not going to be embarrassed. Uh, you know, this sheep is valuable. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into this story about why the shepherd is rejoicing. When he arrives, verse 6, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Friends, we live in Valdosta, Georgia. If there's some news to go around, it's going to go around. When that one sheep went missing... 
Trust me, the, the friends and the people knew that the sheep went missing, which is exactly why the shepherd wanted to call everyone together and go, um, I found the sheep, so y'all can quit talking now. They knew. Here's what Jesus shows, two important lessons that he shows in this parable. The first one, and, and we're going to look at this a little more in depth now, is that he reveals a glimpse into the heart of God and his great love for the lost. See, Jesus is telling multiple stories. There's three, remember? This is just the first of three that he tells. He's wanting them to see that you can, you can think what you want to think about what's proper and right and good and all those things, but I have come to, God has come through me to do something different, and it's going to look different. And, and, and you need to understand this, that God will go to great lengths for you. So it reveals his great love for the lost, but also... And this is where Jesus is challenging the Pharisees. It makes it very clear what our attitude should be toward those who are lost. We should go after people. We should run towards people, not shun them, cut them off. We should go towards them as well. See, God's love is a seeking love. It is a a seeking love. He is not sitting back waiting for those who are lost to find him. He's not hiding, and he's not sitting back going, well, I hope they make it. <laughs> like, he, he seeks after us. He has, and he continues to reach out for those who are lost. This is, this is the, we talked about the doctrine of free will a few weeks ago, the fact that we have the choice to choose him. You, you hear me mention that a lot. God, God didn't sit back at, at creation at the beginning of time, even though he has the omniscience and knows. He didn't go and pre-select all of those who were going to choose him. He didn't pre-choose who's going to be in and who's going to be out. That's not how he does that. He knows who will choose him, but he does not do a schoolyard pick for who will be on his team. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, I used to be really good at dodgeball and kickball, and I often went first or second round if I wasn't the captain myself. But most days, friends, I am not necessarily the one that's going to be picked right away if, if God's doing schoolyards picks. I'm just, I'm not. He knows. I'm so glad that God came looking for me. I'm so glad that his grace pursued me. I'm so glad that his provenient grace worked in my life. And that he pursued me, that he wooed me, that he came after me. And friends, that's what he's done for you. Some of you might even be sensing that right now. That this is exactly what God is doing. God's love is a seeking love, and he is not waiting for the lost to find him. He has and continues to reach out for those who are lost. He wants people to come to him. It's that beautiful grace that pursues us. A couple of examples from Scripture, and I didn't put them back here, so don't freak out, Thomas, if I start rattling off Scripture. Um, but just, these are just a couple. They're, they're not all around, but just a few give evidence to God's great love. And they're well-known passages. John 3.16 is, is God's great love for us. God sent his son to save the world. 
Luke 5, in, in the book of Luke, in Luke 5, verse 31, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that I came to save, it's, it's the sick. It, it's not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come to be their great physician. In chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, I came to save, to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. And so in other words, what Jesus is doing with this parable is he's telling the religious leaders who are complaining about how attractive Jesus is to all those sinners. What Jesus is saying to those religious leaders and what he said that's made it all, all, the, all the way to your ear and mine is that he comes after to find the one that's lost. That he comes after. That he comes to seek after us. He comes to save us. He desperately cares for the lost. Now this doesn't happen in all the parables. Okay? But sometimes it does. And in this very short little story... Jesus follows it right up just to, to make sure the religious leaders don't walk away going, well, I'm not really sure what he was talking about. No, because verse 7, Jesus explains the parable. He says, in the same way, so he's talking about the story I just told you, the shepherd's got 100 sheep and one goes missing, he will leave the 99 and go after the one and he will come back rejoicing and he'll say, everyone come and celebrate with me that we have found the one. In the same way. Jesus says, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Can you imagine being the religious leaders and hearing that? And hearing that suddenly you, that, that heaven is not rejoicing over you, they're rejoicing over that, that, not pointing anywhere, just in general. Them? But what about me? I mean, he's making it very clear. Not only is there to be a of God's great love for the lost, but also how our attitude should be toward the lost. And I think there's even a, a sub understanding in there, teaching in there of how we should not, you know, we, we should make sure we view ourselves in light of, oh, I too am a sinner. And I'm the one. I'm, I'm really not the 99. I mean, I might look and act like I'm the 99, but really I'm pretty much the one. See, God celebrates when a lost soul is found, and he's celebrated. And those 90, see, here's the deal. He celebrated when the other 99 were found too. That's the thing to remember. Those 99 represent individual souls living in relationship with God through Jesus in that story. He's already celebrated. Now he's celebrating for the one that was lost. And that lost sheep is valuable because, and you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That lost sheep is valuable, porch community, because an immense price was paid for it. And it was paid for each and every one. 
In Hebrews 12, it says that, I think it's verse 2, that, that, um, that Jesus came to endure the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. What? Endure the cross for joy? Excuse me? Yes, that's exactly what he did. He endured the cross for joy. Why? Because in his enduring the cross, it makes salvation possible for us. And we get to accept that, say yes to that, live into that, repent of our sin, and be made new. Heaven rejoices. Jesus rejoices. Valuable. And the joy set before Jesus was all the lost sheep who would answer the shepherd's call. All the lost sheep. And he knew as he said those words 20 something centuries ago that you would be the one to hear this message. Not, not my message, his message, Luke 15. The joy set before Jesus was all the lost sheep who would answer his who would repent of their sin and be found by him. So as the band makes their way back out, hear this. God is most definitely looking for those who know they are lost. And they're, they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. But God, God's also, you know, he is looking, um, he, he's longing to bring home, and maybe this, this count, maybe this is you, ready? God is, is longing to bring home the rebels who, who know they have blown their lives apart and are homesick. I mean, you read, go into that third parable in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, of the, this is what he does. He's longing for this. Every single person who has sinned, who longs to return Every lost soul who longs to be found to return home, God is, is waiting. He's, he's desiring this. He's wanting this. He's pursuing us. He's doing it even right now. God's looking for you. Now, that can be really scary, like those, how, if we don't let Jesus fill in the gaps. Oh, God's looking for me. Oh, no. <laughs> but you pair that statement, God is looking for you with the love of Jesus Christ. And suddenly, friends, that is the very best news you could ever hear. God is looking for you. He's looking for you. He's longing for you to be found. He, he's, he's planning a party to rejoice if you're being found and coming home. God knows that his word, at one time spoken, then recorded, reproduced by hand, Translated, mass-produced in the millions and millions, made available to billions of people over time, that at this very moment, right now, June 12th, 2022, that you would hear that truth. That God sent his one and only son. So, Porch Community, how will you respond to the truth found in Luke 15 today told as a parable to help you understand God's heart for the lost and God's desire for us to love the lost the same way let's pray
Lord, we come before you. And whether we feel like a Pharisee or we feel like a, a lost sheep or we feel um, or we know we have, we have a clarity, actually, of where we are right now in our relationship with you. Whether it's we've run away or there's so many possibilities. But I pray the central theme, which is the central theme of the parable, is that you love us. And that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So I pray that that is our prayer, each and every one of us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when I was lost, you found me. Thank you that you pursued me. Thank you that you kept pursuing me. And God, give me eyes to see other people as, 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 as the lost sheep like I was. Lord, help me not to be a Pharisee. Help me not to be condemning, judging others, but to, to do my part in your kingdom to, to help them know you too. We worship you now because you deserve our worship. We worship you now. You deserve our praise. We worship you because you are God and you love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.